SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. On SAFM. Thank you so much to the technical producer being quick on the dials. It simply went down the wrong pipe, and the more I tried to speak, the more it just insisted that it will have the final say. Yeah, I got my breath back indeed. Hashtag Tuesday Takeover with the Chief Executive of Solidarity the Union, or as they would call themselves, Solidarität. And of course, I'm speaking of and to this evening, Meneer Dirk Herman. Meneer, good evening. Good evening. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's not good. I never thought that uh, Solidarity will take over SAFM. Yeah, perhaps we should qualify <laughs> that take over only for half an hour. We, we, we don't want to run that narrative here. <laughs> Dirk Herman is currently the CEO of the Trade Union Solidarity, completed his doctorate in industrial sociology with affirmative action as its theme. In addition to that, two books with affirmative action as a theme appeared from Herman's pen. The Emperor is Naked, Why Affirmative Action Failed, and affirmative tears, why representation is not equality. We can talk a lot about these things right now, of course. He has a few things that he is engaged with, of course. Earlier this year, Trade Union Solidarity announced the completion of its new Soltech Occupational Training College, the campus in Centurion, just up the road from where I am. Today, they served court papers on Human Settlements Minister and Water and Sanitation, of course, Linda Wissisulu, over her importation of Cuban engineers to help fix leaks and other water problems, including a spillage of the Val River. And they are one of the few unions that are not embroiled in a strike and salary negotiation turmoil, at least in recent memory. The question is, how do they get going quite differently to other unions, yet they find themselves not only in the same regulatory framework, but also in the same environment with the same or is it? Challenges. Dirk, good evening again, and thank you for joining us. So from what I've said, where would you like to start, just so that we can get to know you a bit more? Yeah, thank you very much. I um, Well, uh, let me start where I grew up. I grew up in the free state, so I'm a free guy. And uh, there in the free state, of course, we spoke to each other, Sutu and uh, Afrikaans. So English there was a foreign language. And uh, so um, I am a guy there from the countryside. I grew up in a house where my dad was a businessman. He was at uh, Clover SA. And um, uh, so that's the environment where I grew up. And then I got in contact with Flipbase and uh, just in my university days. And I just got fascinated with his thinking about where you want to go with the old mine workers union. The old mine workers union, of course, was in all terms in 1997 bankrupt, bankrupt in ideas and bankrupt financially because they positioned themselves there in the right-wing corner, resisting the changes, etc. So they had nowhere to go. And then Flipbase took over and it came with this fascinating ideas on how to transform the trade union, something totally different. And he recruited me then at that stage and I became a trade unionist, something that I would, uh, did not um, <laughs> envisage to become. I, be- I grew up in the countryside with a dad that's in the business world, and I became a trade union organizer, and I'm there now for 25 years. What sold you to Flip Base's ideas? Well, Flip came with uh, ideas um, that is absolutely visionary. Um, and sometimes people will say, oh, you guys have solidarity and every forum in the solidarity movement will go want to go back to the past. But the challenge for Flip was to actually think on the vision on how to uh, position our organization in the post-1994 era and to survive the changes. Because with Afrikaners in the post-1994 era was that they did not know how to survive outside the shade of a state. And that is actually a pity because they, um, Afrikaners have this wonderful story of surviving without a state, especially after the Anglo-Boer War before the 1961 big state. And then apartheid came and they became dependent on the state. And then we had to think how to survive outside the shades of the state. And we came with the idea of uh, um, of self-help to build institutions and to try to be um, self-reliant without the state. And we went and borrowed, of course, from the history of Afrikaners because we did that. We did that after the Anglo-Boer War, after the, the, the rebellion of 1914, after the 1930s. We built institutions in an unfriendly state environment. 
then be, we became steak, picked the steak, and we <laughs> went and borrowed that and uh, those ideas, and we started to build institutions. And that is actually the whole solidarity movement is a network of institutions. Now, Flip could see that in 1997, actually. I was, uh, he was then elected general secretary, and um, I was at that stage in America, in, in Texas, um, for an internship at the, the company, company Dan and and, um, and Flip and I started to to discuss the South African politics, and he he said, "What about this? Come with me. Come build this bankrupt organization. Let's transform it in something else." And now it's it's a huge organization with more with 550,000 members, paid up members. We are building institutions. We're building technical colleges, etc. Yeah, you mentioned big mistake to get the Afrikaner into government. And I think that's something that we can't, of course, as a nation, overlook because I think in many respects this is the South Africa that many South Africans celebrate or lament, rightly or wrongly, whichever way one's um, socialization is. But what cannot be disputed is that the Afrikaner community, as it were, made it work, at least for the Afrikaner community, that they were in government and in many respects outside whatever would have happened before 1994, there are strong institutions that sustain, if not South Africa, then certainly the Afrikaner community still. Thoughts? Dirk, are you there? I've missed you on the last part. No, no, I was just suggesting that, I mean, given the fact that you had mentioned, even though it was tongue-in-cheek when you said it was a big mistake to get the Afrikaner into government, what doesn't change is the institutions that he'd built in the time of apartheid when the National Party certainly was in power. The Afrikaner question was answered for the better part, for the betterment of the Afrikaner. And, of course, in many respects, some Afrikaans institutions or institutions that were built in the National Party era are still sustaining South Africa now. Although the question could be very different in terms of the outlook of SOEs, but nonetheless, those institutions have persisted. And, which is more, some of those institutions still have been able to allow the Afrikaner to develop, or at least not to recede in progress. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely so. My critique at that stage um, was about Afrikaners that became state. They lost their sense of community and self-reliance, and they became dependent on the state. Um, the apartheid government was a good state administrator. Um, they made huge ideological mistakes, um, like we know, um, but they were a good state administrator. So they built institutions, you are quite correct on that. But my problem is then Afrikaners became dependent on the state and they lost their self-help spirit. Something that was part and parcel of the Afrikaners. Maar wat van die woorde volk red omself? Yeah, while well, the folk read himself was um, in the 1930s. That was during the time of the Depression. That was when this, um, the poverty in, uh, among Afrikaners was at a high, high level. At that stage, um, the um, uh, jobless level among Afrikaners were 33%, and 66% of Afrikaners were poor. And then Father Kestel came, and Father Kestel said, a folk red himself, meaning that you must take yourself responsibility. And then they started the dating without bond, not via the government. They took responsibility. And through the government, they started to stand up and they built an institution at that stage. At that stage, the Bruder Bond was formed and the Voortrekkers and the FAK, extra, all community organizations. They organized themselves among the, uh, um, uh, the community and then federal volksbelegings became and they uh, um, uh, was formed and they, they started to build a vibrant community through which they can live. And that's the power of community. Sometimes, sometimes the power of community is stronger than the state. And the question nowadays is also, in the post-1994 era, mm. the question is, aren't we too dependent on the state again? And I'm talking now about all South Africans. Uh, you see, the thing, the self-help idea is not only an Afrikaner idea. Um, we had this amazing discussions with the Tabu Mbeki Foundation. And there, um, um, the Tabu Mbeki Foundation introduced us to a word, Vukuzenzele. And that, like mm-hmm. we understand, is a Tawazala Zulu word for actually do it yourself. Take mm-hmm. yourself, stand up and do it yourself. So Vukuzenzele or self-help is alive in South Africa or in Africa. 
but where is it at the stage? Do we take self-responsibility? Do we take Bugus and Zela seriously at, uh, at this stage? Because if there's a word in Kozan Zulu, it means it's alive there. But the state makes us, uh, uh, put us in a position that we don't take that vibrant self-responsibility. And the question is, didn't we do that? Well, Afrikaners lost that in the apartheid era, but then all of us, aren't we losing that? Must, mustn't we take more self-responsibility and build it ourselves? Enter Soltec Occupational Training College. Soltec is an example. Remember, Solidarity is a blue-collar trade union. We have factory workers and mine workers. And we, um, a couple of years ago, had to go to the shop floors and the mine um, at the mines, at the factories and so on, and we've convinced our shop stewards to donate, um, to, to, um, um, to convince our members to donate a, a contribution of 10 rand a month, only 10 rand a month, every member. And that came in about around about the 10, 12 years ago, and we started to build a fund, we called it the Building Fund. And with 10 rand, we could build a Saltec, a technical college, it costed us 300 million rand from um, ordinary worker money in any community can do that. Interesting. Let's take a break. Mr. Dirk Herman, Chief Executive at Solidarity, the union, has just given us insights as to how, at least its genesis, Saltec Occupational Training College here in Centurion was built. 10 rand over a period of time from ordinary folk. 2024, after the break, do give him a call. Engage him very briefly because at half past, he's taking over on SAFM. On SAFM. We're back. We're live on air 2025. I'm waiting for a couple of calls. In fact, I've got one already from N. Ushwa Pedi. Mzi, good evening. How are you? Well, sir, how's it? Good, good. Go for There's it. There's one thing that you cannot take away from these guys. Let me make a comparison. <laughs> Who are these guys? Uh, the solidarity. Oh, indeed, indeed. Uh... They just spend two hundred. Is it two hundred million? Three hundred million. Three hundred million, and the work is done. You go to in Gauteng, Panyaza Lusufi. He has spent five hundred million. His department. That's not anything else on sanitizers. This is for me. This is ridiculous, man. I think we can learn one or two. We cannot learn everything about them. There are things about them, but there are things that we can learn from this guy. Thank you. Thank you, Baumzi from Enmusha and Pedi. Let's go to Durban, Lucky. Lucky, good evening. We seem to have lost Lucky, but how do you respond to that, Dirk? Uh, yes, I think what we've shown through Saltec is the power of community and that one can actually be even stronger than the state. I don't want to say stronger, but I, 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 well, let me say that we don't, it's not necessary to wait for the state. You can take self-responsibility, and that is actually what, what Saltec showed South Africa, the power of um, ordinary people um, taking self-responsibility. Let me ask this question. Um and, and, and I don't want to sound alarmist or conceding too much than I necessarily should, but I think it comes from a right place, or it, it does come from a right place, and I think it comes from an accurate disposition, generally speaking, of many an African community, an African community outside the mainstream. I could always refer to where I come from because at least I can hold some authority in what I say given lived experience. There are communities right now in 2021 ravaged, of course, as a society and the world over by COVID-19, which for the most part has exacerbated whatever the social ills, socio-economic ills in the country were and the world over. So things are worse than they are now than they might have been this time last year. Poor infrastructure, be it roads, access to public services, communication, the advent of technology and the uptake for some and the non-uptake of others, the increasing and widening gap, all of which which occasions for a great sense of despondency because on the one end there's a paucity of a progressive and functional state that is responsive to the people and their challenges where they are. There doesn't seem to be an offering outside the state of opportunity we don't get, at least I don't get, that sense of community being galvanized 
to, as you had said, a fulcrate himself, Vukuzenzele. How in that milieu then of despondency could a soul take equivalent for that particular community that is a priority for itself come about? How would you begin to engage people? How would you begin to engage people to get them to be on board and to part with resources over an extended period of time and commit to the vision and trust the process? How would one go about doing that? Or how should one go about doing that in 2021 South Africa? Mm. Well, um, the, the thing is, the way that we've gone about with this is just to start on the ground. Um, we went to the lowest level, like I said, on the factory floors. We had discussions with all the shop stewards, and we've listened. We've listened what they want and what they need, and they said about the their worries exactly the same worries that everyone else about what's going to happen with the kids. What they they said what's going to happen with um, um, public. Um, training you know, colleges and the crises with that. And so we started to listen to them and then we started to motivate and went to them and asked them. And then they, and, and that was just amazing on how open all of them was to, to Nate and to give and to help. Because remember, um, we have around about 200,000 members. So they donate their 10 rands and it's only a small percentage of them that will receive the benefit. Um, because the fact of the matter is that most of their kids already studied or something like that. So only a small percentage enjoy the benefit, but, but the spirit of let's help each other, um, help Makar. That was the slogan after the 1914 rebellion of help Makar. And that was quite powerful on how do we help Makar. Um, so we started on a very low level. We talked to the people. We convinced them. And it was just amazing how it opened up. Um, there's a lot of people that's visiting at this um, stage, um, sort of uh, communities, etc. And my my feeling at this stage is that in South Africa, there's more and more a sense of that we must do something um, outside government as well. Uh, government, of, of course, has its role. But I think what I see is a new revival of community thinking. And um, in the second segment, we're going to talk about horizontal relationships, how strong that is, and how can we find each other on horizontal levels. And that's powerful. Sure. Let me quickly take a couple of calls. There is demand, and I anticipated it would happen, but not quite at this late stage. I mean, this is what my listeners do. Naughty of you, Mike. Naughty of you, Anonymous. Naughty of you, Wandile. Mike in Newlands, Anonymous in KZN, Wandile in Mafeking. In and out quickly, please, 2031. Let's go. Yeah, thanks very much. Indeed. Um, you know, funny enough, I'm no friend of, well, I wouldn't say we're a friend of the Afrikaners. I don't wish to be dishonored, just, uh, just courteous. But, you know, as a, as a white English speaking born South African, when I went into the army, there was apartheid there because we had English speaking regiments and Afrikaans speaking regiments. But I never, when I went overseas, I quickly learned, understood the Afrikaners thinking. And the fact is that we have Greek, Greeks, we have Jews, we have Israel, we have all different nationalities that tend to stick together. So I actually fully understand where the Afrikaner is coming from. And I think what they've achieved, quite frankly, is absolutely amazing. And I am just looking for an opinion from Hermione. Where does he stand with Panyaza Lasufi, who seems to have been so incredibly, um, what's the word, uh, upset, disgruntled, unhappy about the fact that the Afrikaner is making a stand and looking after his own affairs. And that seems to upset him so much. What, is he, what, what have you guys done to really make Panyaza Lusufi and the and the ANC so upset is the fact that you've succeeded so well in doing something that is so simple, which yet Panyaza Lusufi and the ANC have failed to do, and that is give us a decent education system. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Mike and Newlands. Anonymous and KZN, just as much in and out, please. Uh, all I want to say is that, you know, uh, it's a good in- initiative and uh, it's an attractive initiative and it's a public initiative as well. But I want to know what will happen to the taxes, the vets, the levies and all that people are taxed, um, you know, uh, that uh, go to the government revenue. What will happen to that money? Who will invest that money and how will it be used? Because if everybody has going to uh, take out from the public a further 10 runs or 20 runs and use it for personal, which is very good. Because I've been doing that all my years and all my life. I've been helping people with very little resources. I've got a guy matriculated with very little resources. And I used to beg and borrow from everyone to help the poor disadvantaged people. 
And sometimes I would go out myself and do it. But it's very good. But what happens to all the taxes that are in revenue? What's going to happen to that money? So just hold the line there, Anonymous. Did you get that question, Dirk? Yes, I got it, yes. Okay, very well. Thank you so much, Anonymous. No, no, let me move on. Let's go to Wandil and Mafikeng. Wandil. Yes, I'm here. Go for it. All right. uh, I'm going to go historically. Historically, when I look at the African uh, community or African nation here in South Africa, I'm a pro-black somebody anyway. 1899, there was this war between these uh, two white nations, and the war was won by the English. And that was, that was the beginning of the capitalism after the African won, I mean, after the, uh, the, Onglo, uh, the, Onglo, the, the English side of the people won the war. That was the beginning of the capitalism. I just need to clarify one thing. The, the losing of that war by the, the English won that war. The capitalism strictly started at that time. And then the Afrikaners lost, okay, they, 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 they said, okay, fine. We okay, lost, let's fine. Move, we lost. Come on, come on. But, oh, oh, okay, let me, just, let, me, let me just clarify this one. After they lost, the English came and said, no, it's fine. We'll put you on government. That was the time when they put uh, for food on, on, he was the first president of the uh, Republic of South Africa. He was uh, murdered by Eva, but we know that he was murdered by the, the capitalist. When he was, ca- when he was capable of uh, trying to make sure that capitalism doesn't go Wandila, I'm moving on. I mean, we, we're trying to get on, and I think I've made that clear. Whatever you got from that, Dirk, please do respond to it. We're going to play three voice notes. We really are under, pressed, I mean, under pressure for time, so we won't take any more calls in this segment. Of course, we can carry them over in the conversation that you will have with your guest. Good evening, Songezo, and your guest from uh, uh, the Solidarity Union. I just want to find out from him, does he support the idea of Orania or Eureka? Does he support the idea of uh, labor broking? What is his take on those two issues? Is he comfortable with that? Is he part of that? Or is his organization in support of that? Thank you very much. This is TK Mnambit. Uh, good evening, Mshegas, and your guest. You know, I'm listening to this uh, uh, gentleman talk. It makes me realize that our government is failing. And the reason the government is, in fact, not that I realize now that they are failing. The reason they are failing us is because when the Afrikaners did all of this, built all of this, your Sasol, Telcom, Post, uh, uh, post Office, ISCOM, Oliver Tambo's comrades were in exile. They never witnessed that. So they don't know what, in fact, how those things were built. Yes, ISCOM initially was built to serve 5 million whites and the population grew, but that... The, the, the current government should have learned from them. I mean, you look at how many, uh, we've got a trade union. They've never even built one public toilet. And yet Solidarity put that money together to build a college. We are failed by our own. It's Honorable Monarang and Kailich. Sungeze, thanks so much for an absolutely great show. As a white South African listening to the show most of the time, I know that the majority of the callers are black but I'd love to have the opinion of the majority of black people in South Africa. All the Ace Makashulis and the Zoomers and the Tony and Guineas and the Sipras and all those guys, are they going to win this battle? Or are the real ANC going to win this battle? It's fascinating to know. Thanks for a great show, as I said, and thanks for the input. I'd love to hear it from the black listeners and um, yourself as well. Thanks for such a balanced view. Brad Marisburg. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Brad, Mike, Anonymous, One Dealer, the voice notes. Dirk, you got two minutes. Yeah. All right. In the first place, the issue of the taxes. That's a problem with if you take self-responsibility and the government doesn't come forward. It's double taxation. The ideal situation would be if there's deductions, uh, tax deduction, deductions for this kind of contributions that you do for self-help. Um, the whole issue on... Uh, what was uh, uh, said about the Anglo-Boer War, I think um, the listeners' uh, facts was a bit confused. But the fact is, after the Anglo-Boer War, it's quite true, the English won the war, and then the Afrikaners had to make a choice. Whether they go up into the, into the empire, or whether they would choose the community, they chose the community. There was the English capitalism, and then the interesting thing that was developed there 
was what was called community capitalism, folks capitalism, where the community then start also with an economic system. It was quite vibrant. And then on the question of, of whether we support um, the ideas of Urania, um, Urania is a self-help community. And I think one can learn a lot from that specific community, where how they do their own work, take self-responsibility and so on. So within the broad principles of self-help, I think... One can learn a lot. Don't critic only. You can learn a lot um, from them. And then Sorry, lastly, can I interrupt you before you go to the last one? Of course, yes. Do you support the establishment of Afrikaans-only communities that do not allow anybody else who doesn't subscribe to the Afrikaner um, way of life, way of thinking, be it religion, Anything to do with what typically typifies Afrikaners, if you don't subscribe to that, do you support, therefore, the establishment of Eureka and Orania on those grounds? That's the question. I don't think um, Orania must establish themselves on that ground, on the exclusionary ground. Um, they, might, they have the full right to define themselves as a community, so they can self-define themselves, but then... It can't exclude anyone. Yeah, the the on reason why I'm asking this, I'm sorry for this engagement. I had a conversation with the CEO of Orania some months back, and he had said, specifically one of the listeners had asked a question, if I marry one of the daughters of Orania, would I therefore be allowed to stay there? And the answer was a categorical no. So in essence, what you have just said is indeed that that is not correct. Do I understand you correctly on the basis of this example I've just put to you? I don't think any community must out-define anyone. Okay, very well. So you were going to say something else. You said lastly because it was a response. Well, lastly, it was on Panyaza al-Sufi. Yes. And uh, if you come to Panyaza al-Sufi, then the question um, uh, is why does he act from an ideological point of view? Because he, if you look at us, it's from an ideological point of view. And um, so we have a problem with that. And uh, um, uh, on, on the fact that he try, then uh, you ask about defining out. Well, the fact is he defined any African institution out of his ideological framework, while institutions like Saltic actually help to include and not to exclude. Very well. It is 2041. I really don't want to end this conversation, but I do because I need to honor the fact that you are here to take over, not to be quizzed. So after the break, it's all yours with Minyar Bar and Ace, Head of Intercultural Co- Cooperation at AfriForum. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songe Somapete on SAFM. Um. Hello. Does your does your account know? Okay. All right. Thank you very much, and thank you for the opportunity to take over. It's quite a historic um, moment for myself, the uh, host here on SASM. Um, on the line, I have Barrent Ace. I just want to hear Barrent. Are you on the line? It's a pity we've lost both of them. It's a pity we've just lost both of them because Mr. Barandais, as I've just referred to him earlier on before the ad break, is the head of intercultural cooperation at AfriForum, together with the person whose voice, for the most part, you heard in the time up to now, Mr. Dirk Herman, chief executive at Solidarity. I'm just going to give you, and hopefully they will catch on this as well. They will be in conversation about the Research Institute on the relationship between the movement Solidarity and Afroforum and traditional communities. In my conversation with him earlier on, Dirk had mentioned that the work that Bar and Ace does in building consensus, if it's consensus, cooperation, if it is that, with your traditional communities in the country. They want to talk about, therefore, the relations that we can still have, relationships that ought to be mended and how they can be mended and how self-determination doesn't necessarily mean, and I'm hoping I'm getting him correctly characterized, if you like, how self-determination doesn't mean in the truest sense isolation from other communities, but rather we want to do this in this way and we will, in cooperation with others, look to achieve other things that between the respective communities we can without taking away from each other. So I think that is essentially the nature of the conversation that they are about to have. But of course, they can confirm that and indeed get on with it. Dirk and Barrent are both on the line.
Yes, hello, Barrent. Hello, Barrent. Are you on the line? No, Barrent is not on the line. Talk to me. Talk, talk to me. How are you envisioning that this conversation between the two of you is going to go on? And specifically, what are the issues that you wish to highlight, Dirk? Well, I think the most important thing that we want to highlight through this specific discussion is how important recognition and respect is in South Africa. So I will talk to Barrent about his specific relationships with different communities in South Africa, especially traditional communities. Now, the interesting thing, of course, is that Afrikaners are not... It does not have a traditional leadership system. And the Barrett is quite involved in that. And he's building bridges between Afrikaners and the traditional community in South Africa. He's working at AfriForum and he's head of the intercultural cooperation um, at AfriForum. And I just want to talk to him a bit about that. Excellent. Well, he's heard all of that. Barrett, good evening. Good evening. Thank you for the opportunity. Indeed. Dirk, it's all yours. Oh, thank you, Barrett. Um, and thank you for uh, the fact that you take part. I said in my introduction on how important it is that there's horizontal relationships in South Africa. The problem in South Africa, of course, is we sit with a situation that there's a lot of tension and, and there's court cases and there's um, race incidents, etc. But the fact of the matter is that the horizontal relationships in South Africa, according to my own experience, is actually not too bad. And... Um, and I want to talk to you about that. You do a lot of horizontal relationship um, 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 specific um, um, contact with different communities, etc. And I want to start and ask you, but what's the basis of that? What's the basis of sound relations? Dirk, thank you so much. So you, you mentioned the words earlier, and the two words that are so important is recognition and respect. Um, so we usually say mutual recognition and respect. So that means recognition and respect both ways is the only sustainable basis for, for cooperation. And that is the only way that we can get to peaceful coexistence in the end. So if we speak about this, how to recognize, recognize each other, that basically means that we need to recognize the contributions that we have made in the past and that we can still make in the future. And we also need to recognize that we belong here, where we are. And then, of course, with respect comes respect for each other, and of course, also respect for oneself. And this is also respect for each community, the right to determine their own destiny. And of course, if I respect you, then I can also respect myself. And that the, the one important thing to always remember is that you do not have to give up your own cultural identity to establish that there's good relationships. So if you respect the differences and the cultural uniqueness, it actually forms a solid and a healthy basis to work from. Okay. If you talk about relationships and good relationships, etc., um, is there any historic examples of good relationships if you go back in history? Yes, um, you know, Dirk, um, I was listening to your conversation earlier and about learning lessons from the past, you know, and there once lived a, a wise man and he said, you know, that you should take what is good and beautiful from the past, you should shape your ideal, and then you must strive to achieve that ideal. Um, so with regards to this intercultural cooperation, the work that I'm doing, we also look back at the past. And of course, you can, you can choose what you take from the past, and if you choose to take the good, there's actually a series of excellent examples of really good relationships that existed between different cultural communities and specifically between um, Afrikaners and other cultural communities. And maybe I can just um, name two very specific examples. So the first very specific example is the story of the Afrikaners during the Great Trek um, and Kosi Moroka II of Tabanshu, um, just outside Bloemfontein. So the voortrekkers went into the interior and they actually got a safe place to stay temporarily um, under the protection of Kosi Moroka too. Now, of course, during that time, it was a very unstable time um, in the interior of South Africa. Um, you had um, King um, Midilikazi Kumalu with his, his forces roaming around. And of course, there was, attack on, there was an attack on the voortrekkers that was then later called Vechkop, close to the town of Heilbronn. I think it's close to where you grew up, Dirk. Yeah. And in the end, they were there 
And after the attack um, by the forces of King Mizilikazi, they had nowhere to go. All the oxen was gone that they that they needed to move the wagons. And then Cosimo Roca to actually send some oxen, and that was the only way that the four trackers could get to a safe place again. And this story is so beautiful. If you actually visit Abanshu today, there's a church, the Ereskult Kerk. And this was basically a church built to actually commemorate this help that Afrikaners received from Cosimo Roca too. And then another very interesting story. And unfortunately, you know, um, for some reason, these stories are not taught in schools. It's, it's never been taught in schools. I can tell you, I also, when I was at school a few decades ago, we also were not told these stories. But the, the other story is the story of the special relationship between King Pande and, and the Afrikaners now, um, and then again, King Dinu Zulu. So maybe I should just tell one of the stories, otherwise we will be telling stories the whole evening. But so, <laughs> in the time of King Dinu Zulu, of course, it was a very unstable time and, and actually a very difficult time in the Zulu Kingdom because the Zulu Kingdom was divided into 13 kinglets and there was um, a civil war because of that. And the Zulu King, King Kechwayo, wanted his son Dinu Zulu to be king after him. But because of this instability and the civil war, um, there was actually a threat um, to King Dinu Zulu um, becoming king, taking the rightful place as king. And then there was actually a, a group of Afrikaners that assisted King Dinu Zulu at the Battle of Ghost Mountain, is, is the English words. And that is how King Dinu Zulu then became the king um, of the Zulus. So, like I said, you can take these good stories from the past and we can yeah. use this as examples to build on today. Okay. Um, uh, just um, if anyone wants to talk to us, remember the lines are open at 011-714-2006 or you can send the WhatsApp voice note and to 0614-104-107. All right, um, Barrent, you gave um, brilliant um, historic examples, but the, the question is, can we do this today? Is there the political capital today and the, um, for, for this kind of relationships? And I know you do a lot of that kind of work today as well. Can you help us with examples um, of current cooperation. Yes, Dirk, of, of course, you know, it's, it's really important to, to recognize the past. And of course, we, we must know that, unfortunately, the reality of our past is that there was a breach of trust. And that means, of course, if you really want to build relationships, of course, you need to have patience and you need to understand that um, different community, communities needs to find each other and really build this trust. So, of course, the work that I'm doing is not, it's not the three-year or the five-year kind of work. Um, but, and, and maybe one can in this see actually a silver lining on, on a very dark cloud is the fact that, that we've got a government that is really poorly performing, and I, and I don't think there's really a debate about that. That actually means that communities are looking to themselves to find solutions and of course we are also looking for friends to help us create the solutions and out of this um, and of course I also believe uh, tapping into some historical um, relationships we see from this this reality the growth of new relationships one specific example I really would like to mention is um, um, the Isin the Bailey speaking people you know um, we speak about minorities and the majority in the, in the country, but actually we are a country of minorities. And one such a minority, and this is actually a minority smaller than the Afrikaner minority, is the, is the Ndebele minority. You know, according to my understanding, there's approximately 1.3 million Isindebele speakers. So there's an Isindebele or an Ndebele NGO. They call themselves BUCO, Bula Meslo Kosile Organization. And they really do have a challenge. Um, and it's interesting that we're now speaking on a SABC radio station, but they've got a challenge with um, Isin de Bele on SABC, that you see actually uh, that Isin de Bele is neglected on the SABC. So we are working with this NGO. We did a campaign where we said, let's try and negotiate the rightful place for Isin de Bele on the SABC, because Isin de Bele, of course, is one of the official languages. We also did a very practical project with them where we um, compiled mask instructions in Isin de Bele to, for people to create um, to, or to make... Um, face masks during the COVID-19 pandemic. There's another example in a small Zulu-speaking community. The community is called Nkungumate. They also have their own NGO by the same name. 
they had a very big challenge that the Department of Education actually promised them a school over many years. The school was never built. In the end, because of the excellent paper trail and the work that the community and this NGO done, we could assist them. Um, we achieved great victories in court, and of course, this school must now be built. But of course, it's a, it's a, it's a conversation that are continuing, and we are now also um, continuing in a, a conversation about possible agricultural projects there, um, for example. Modern, modern yes. is a we. Is it um, every forum of the development? Yes, of of course, it's Afri Forum and the network partners. So we've got very important network partners. The one partner is um, SAI, the Southern Africa Agri Initiative. We've got Agri All Africa, a company that's doing work um, in the rest of Africa. And then, of course, we also have corporate sponsors, of which one of the really important ones are Pioneer. Um, for instance, on some of, on some of the other projects that we did, maybe the one that I can mention is an agricultural project in the area of the Bansha outside of Bloomfield. Oh, what a pity we seem to have lost. From him. the oh, yes, Barulongbo Seleka. Um, and there we actually followed up on a project and we managed to get a first, um, a first harvest planted of maize. And we are now in the harvesting season, so we are really looking forward to see the harvest from this joint project. Um, Warren, we don't have a lot of time left, so what, what I just want to ask is what, what the defined future look like? In your opinion, you you work with lots of communities, with traditional communities. That's a big part of the day that you spent on that, and um, you work quite hard on rebuild trust. Um, and it seems to me that um, the, you build trust via projects. Um, to say that let's tackle a project together. But on, on your, in your view, then a future, because you see, if if we listen to the news and so on, it feels that there's only tension and the vertical, the political relations in South Africa is not good. Um, do you see a kind of a future? And, and how do you see this? How do you see that the future of a mutual recognition and respect? Dirk, I see a future where we've got different cultural communities that are really well organized and good relationships between these cultural communities, cultural communities that are also very self-reliant. Um, and then what one can call, call a normalized society. And part of this normalized society is we, where we do not, and in my, I really do believe, where you do not see race anymore. So what, what you do see is a unique cultural identity, something great that we need to preserve, this brilliant diversity that we've got that we need to preserve. And then, of course, a normalized society is one where the past is also normalized and we can really, where we can be friends and be ourselves. So I am convinced that we can definitely have this future. That's very Thank different to the current situation. Thank you, Baron. We have callers. It's going to be quick. Um, Scully in Durban and then Kundili in Humansdorp. Um, we don't have a lot of time, so let's listen. Scully, are you on the, on the line? Uh, good evening to you, to you Jack. Welcome. Uh, just following Sangezo's instructions, um, the, 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 the elephant in the room there, sir, is the labor brokers in South Africa. Let's go back w to the times when there were no labor brokers and the economy will come up. Thank you for taking my call. Bye. Thank, thank you, Scali Pumzili. Are you on the line? Uh, good evening, Dirk and your guest, and thank you very much for the opportunity. I just want to say two things to parent. One, you've got a lot of work to do because the gap uh, of, of racism between various uh, races uh, in the country is actually um, widening. So you've got a huge task to perform. Case in, case in point, um, I've seen people marching in Jeffers Bay, for instance. They saw actually trending on Facebook white people calling blacks uh, baboons. You've got a lot of work to do, my good friend. Secondly, before 1994, we were not part of the Nationalist Party and predominantly white government, and we were equally blaming that system. So I don't blame you to blame a democratic, black-led government by the ANC. As you are saying, in fact, it's a failing government. I don't think it's correct for us as blacks. Um, a lot of us are actually free today because of the ANC-led government. 
you know, and we are actually um, happy with the progress as much as it's not moving with the speed it's supposed to, but at least there is a change in our lives as compared before 1994. Thank you very much and good evening. Okay, thank you very much. It seems that we must go back to news, if I understand it correctly, and then we can have maybe um, answer um, questions after news. Yes, yes, indeed, Dirk, you've got it right. Right. We're going to go to news just very shortly. Please do stand the line, and with your indulgence, Baron Disablifdoch, give us just another 10 minutes so that we can take it at least up until... 10 past 9 so that we can just quickly summarize all of the issues that invariably are coming through and have come through in the course of this conversation. 2059 folks thank you so much for the engagement yeah it was always going to be this sort of engagement but of course why wouldn't we in a country that is so race conscious as we are but of course this is as much an opportunity to learn from each other. 21 hours let's learn what's happening in the world around us on the viewpoint Good evening Songeza and your guests. I just want to find out whether there are there any chances of rebuilding the relations between the African communities as well as the people who are living in the farms. As we see that there are a lot of farm killings, particularly on the side of uh, both uh, the, 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 the occupants of the farms as well as the, the, the farmers. How can we best build the relations? And also, I just want to find out, because... Uh, Atrocities were also committed by uh, Africaners against black people. Are they apologetic enough to come to their senses and say, let's rebuild this country, let's work together, let's stop all this that is happening in the farms? Thank you very much. This is TKM Nambit. Hi, it's Lucky from Devon, but I'm from Tabanchu. So it's very funny that the guy is talking about issues that uh, are related to Tabanchu, and there's very little that we can pick up from the african that help us in actual face we the people from tabanchu we have been castigated for protecting the Afrikaners during those days that they are talking about and it's very painful for us people from tabanchu about the issue of protecting the Afrikaners and where they are today Thank hey, good evening songers and your guests i want to ask your guests about the place that I live in, which is Bushpark Ridge. Long time ago, it was called Bosbok Rand. So I want I want your guests to tell me who found who, who named this place Bushpark Ridge or Bosbok Rand. That's what I want to know. Okay, those are the comments that have come through. Let me just give that opportunity to Mr. Bard and Ace to respond to, and then we will let him go, and then I'll have my final bromance with Dirk after that. Bard? Okay, I think one thing that AfriForum learned um, over many years now working in communities is that one need to focus on common interests and common, con- common concerns. Okay, so if you continuously focus on the differences, you will simply not get ahead. So you can choose to avoid the things that is making cooperation impossible. Now, of course, if you then do cooperate on a proper basis of mutual recognition and respect, we can build community self-reliance over time. But of course, we will need to work persistently, you know, really persistently and with patience, and then we will be able to achieve um, a better future. Um, then I think one other thing to clearly understand is we, we like to say we will do it ourselves, okay? But what we, what we mean when we say we will do it ourselves, that actually means we will do it without being dependent on government. But that also means that we will do it together with other communities that also want to be self-reliant um, and create their own future. If we want to fix relationships, I know that there was mention of the, the very big um, challenges that we are facing um, regarding um, farm, farm safety and the murders on, on farms, farmers and farm workers. The only way to solve that is by building good relationships on grassroots level and by communities that are driven by long-term goals and not short-term gains and popularity. This is not a short play. This is not a short game. This is a long game. And you need to be make very sure that this is your approach. Your approach is to ensure a better future for the next generation and not for the next five years or the next three years. Very well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Baron, for your time. Do appreciate that and the indulgence of an extra 10 minutes or so of your time.
Mr. Dirk Anman, let's wrap up this segment. What have you learned from radio? What have you learned in the very short and little time that you had with South African listeners? What is it that you have picked up that you're either more optimistic or probably, I mean, not necessarily probably, but you're either more optimistic or pessimistic about, let, let's talk about relations in the country yes. at large. I've listened to the readers and there was a central theme um, among the listeners, uh, uh, and the um, central theme was the core question is how can we rebuild trust in South Africa, and that came out. Trust it was deficit. a threat hmm? that came out on how can we rebuild trust, trust, and that is something that we must work on. And I think we can start, and I thank Warren because he bring out the whole issue of mutual recognition and respect, and that I think is a starting point. Um, and then, of course, joint projects to do things together to actually try to learn from each other from joint projects, etc. So, and, and to share. And, um, and and I think that is what Warren came forward with and said that we we have certain knowledge, we shared it um, with Princess Harbour, and we started the agricultural project and so on. And that, that's quite positive. But the rebuilding of trust, and, the, um, and I think we must have more discussions on that. The thing is that what I uh, my problem at this stage is if you look at the vertical relations in South Africa, that's not good. That's a political relation. Final question. Final yeah. question, because it wouldn't be without a question of this kind. How is it moral and fair that the Afrikaners invaded South Africa as temporary settlers, but yet they seek to claim their rightful self-determination in the same land that they initially occupied through the gruesome and horrendous murders of the black people in their own native land? Let's start by um, your notion that um, we are temporary settlers. I want to put that in this. Sorry, sorry. Perhaps I should have clarified. This is a question coming through from a listener. Okay. I thought it's yours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the fact of the matter is we see ourselves as Africans. Um, we also have a history here, and we have a history of a lot of difficulties as well. And I think we've made a lot of mistakes in the history as well. And the, the fact of the matter is, at this stage, we must deal with our future, with our mistakes and with our challenges. Um, but Afrikaners don't see themselves as settlers. Yeah, we see ourselves as from Africa. We call, uh, call our names after Africa, Africa Afrikaners, and our language was, um, was developed here. Yeah. Um, and we don't have anywhere to go. We can't go anywhere. So we are here from Africa soil. Very well. Thank you so much, Mr. Herman, for your time. Much appreciated. We're going to be looking out for your budget review of the decision made by the minister to import the Cuban engineers. Yep. And that's a conversation for another day, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. 2114 is the time after the break. We speak to Mr. Musam Selegu. I imagine you know what we're going to talk about then. It's an African narrative after this.